Hello and welcome to Your Employment Matters. I'm Beverly Williams and I'm here to help you navigate your career. This is for anyone who's searching for their dream job or promotion, or perhaps you're just looking to hang on to the job you have. Today's work environments are multi-generational, multi-religious, multinational, multiracial, and multi-gender and multi-gender identity. Add market disruptors like Amazon and Lyft, along with the addition of AI, and it's easy to see why finding and keeping a job is such a challenge. Employment success and even employment survival depend on your ability to adapt. That's why my goal for this 30-minute podcast is to first advocate embracing change and differences, and second, to encourage you to proactively assume responsibility for your career. Get your work week off to a good start by listening to Your Employment Matters every Monday. Find out how to own your career and get the best practices for making your employment matter. My guest today brings a lot, really a great deal to our discussion. The course of her personal employment journey is not only interesting, the reasons she redirected its course is also, in my opinion, worth hearing. Now, although her work focuses on women, you may be surprised to learn that families, friends, and work relationships benefit and improve whenever women focus on their personal growth and their own happiness. That said, I hope that everyone who listens, regardless of their gender, their gender identity or sexual identity, their race, their ethnicity, or any other classification, listens to my guest as she describes the goals of the work she does. Now, admittedly, we all need encouragement at some point in our life, and we all want to have a sense of self-worth, of self-value. Some people get it from family and friends. Other people get it from the work they do, their profession, or even their religion. Jennifer Sherwood, my guest today, is laser-focused, helping women realize their contribution and personal self-worth. Welcome, Jennifer, and thank you for being with me today. Oh, my gosh, Beverly. It is my absolute pleasure to be here. You know, I, I have been so fortunate since I started this podcast that I'm coming up on almost a year of, of recording interviews with people I find interesting or that I think have uh, had interesting employment journeys. And you're, although we've never met, and we'll get into your background and, and where you are in, in this great country of ours, but I feel as though th- we've made a connection. Yes. It's almost like we've known each other for an extended period of time. Yes. We haven't. <laughs> so True. Why don't you start off by telling us about yourself? Where did you grow up? Did you always know what you wanted to be? Who is Jennifer Sherwood? Oh, boy. Okay. Well, first of all, who has she evolved into? 
Oh, goodness. Okay. Well, Beverly, you may have to cut me off because I can be a little chatty. But first, I want to say congratulations on one year of a podcast. That's a massive accomplishment. Well, thank you. I've enjoyed it. And, you know, it's been so interesting, so eye-opening, and in many respects, so gratifying because everyone can't afford to pay for advice. And people are giving advice gratis, free of charge. You listen to the podcast, you'll get networking advice. You'll get career advice. If you want to change careers, what should you do? What should you consider doing? So, Excuse me. Thank you for that. I really appreciate it. That's very kind of you. You're so welcome. Yes. So let's see. Where do I start? So you asked me where I'm from. Let's start there. I live in California. I'm probably about a half an hour outside of San Francisco, right next to Oakland. And funny enough, I have lived here pretty much my entire life. And that wasn't necessarily a, I love this town so much. I want to stay here and raise my children as much as it just worked out that way. But it's worked out pretty well. So I'm pretty rooted in the Bay Area. I'm right next to Oakland. And then let's see, where did I, this is such a a big question, Beverly. I don't want it to be too much, but I am the youngest of four and I'm significantly younger than my older siblings. And so in some families that could have been like, oh, the baby's here and we're going to treasure her. For me, it felt a little more like I was an afterthought. There was a lot of that growing up that I felt like a bother or a burden, not not to blame my, my parents or my family, but there was some element of that. And so my growing up, I spent a lot of time trying to fit in. And what what my personal branding of fitting in ended up being as I look back on my life was I was trying really hard. I don't think I consciously was trying to be perfect. I'm sort of air quoting, you can't see me here, but what I was really trying to do was to not stand out because when I stood out, that wasn't safe. And so I really learned to bite my tongue a lot and to not make waves. And there are some expectations. I have to say you, Beverly, you are the expectation of this. And I love this about you, but there are a lot of ways that women are given the message to not make waves, to not speak up, to do what's expected. And that, that was me. I very much did what I thought I should, what was expected. And what ends up happening when you live that way is you kind of lose track of your voice. And so while people would tell me I outwardly seemed confident, that isn't what was going on inside. I had a lot of imposter syndrome going on, a lot of feeling like a fraud that showed up quite a bit in my life. And that's going to lead us to this career discussion, but I don't want to go there. I want to pause for a second and see if you have a direction you want to go or a question at this point. No, I, you know, I want to, I, I want to learn more about your background because I find it so interesting that given your training, you segued, or as they say today, pivoted into, you know, another direction and with a different focus. In my career? In your career. Yeah. Okay. I'll tell you how we got there. Is that where you want me to go? Yeah. Okay. You know, tell us where you came, what, what you did, where you went to school, what yep. you studied, what you decided you wanted to do after you finished your training, and then how you decided and why you decided to do something else. Okay. Happy to do that. So my background, my bachelor's and master's degree are in audiology, which is hearing science. And 
I went to uh, California State University, which plays a role in this. So having gone to a state school, there's nothing wrong with my education. I got a fantastic education. But in my brain, where I was feeling a bit like a fraud, that education never really measured up when I was out in the world. So here's this funny paradox that I have. One of my first, uh, I think it was uh, early, let's put it that way, early in my career, I ended up going to work for the Ear Institute at Stanford. So that's a pretty prestigious institution to be at. When you feel like a fraud, sometimes that Stanford name is intimidating. I would be working in the clinic there and we'd have these lovely older gentlemen come in who were so proud of their Stanford background and heritage. These are old Stanford alum. And, you know, the first thing out of their mouth would be, did you go to Stanford? And I would sort of shrink a little and I'd say, no. You know, so there was that piece of it. But I went into audiology because I wanted to do something. I didn't know. You asked me earlier if I always knew what I wanted to do. And the question was, no, I didn't have a clue. I was an undeclared major in college. I really didn't know what I wanted to do. And then my brother met his now wife, who was an audiologist, and I would listen to her talk about her job. And it just sounded so incredible that I wanted to check it out. Just so happened that my school had a major in that. And so that's the the path I took. But I always wanted to be in a role that made a difference. I never, I didn't know the term of service back then, but I just wanted to make a difference. So as I was practicing audiology, um, as a grad student, we did internships and I was fortunate enough to do two very influential ones for me. One was at the VA hospital and I really loved working with the veterans. They were so grateful for everything we provided. But I also got to work at UCSF. University of California, San Francisco. And I very intentionally hooked up there with the pediatric person because pediatrics, doing this work with children was my big passion. And I had a fantastic time at that location and I learned a ton. And when I was working at Stanford, I was offered, there was a brand new, so while I was working, I can't remember when the children's hospital at Stanford was built, but it was very early in its stages and there was no audiology clinic there. And I was offered the position at the children's hospital to oversee their clinic, which I jumped at because to be able to do children all day, work with kids all day was incredible. So there was a, there was another, you know, prestigious bump in my career, but I still kind of felt this broadish thing. Did it not occur to you that Stanford having the reputation that it does and being the prestigious educational institution of higher learning that it is would not have hired or appointed you to that position? You would think, but I always had something to counter it with, Beverly. (laughs) This is what happens when you have imposter syndrome, which is what I had. Okay. So I made just, you know, kept my head down and I worked hard. In the time that I was there, I got married and I am married to my best friend. That is the best decision I have ever made. I got married and then we were making our way through. But as I was working at the hospital, healthcare was really tightening up in those days and uh, appointment times were, were shortening. And to be totally honest, I just burnt out. I just burnt out and I just wasn't feeling fulfilled. I wasn't feeling passionate. And I didn't know, I can imagine a lot of your listeners have experienced this, but when you start to burn out, 
and you're starting to think about what else you want to do, it can be very disorienting. And so here I am, I have a master's degree behind me, but in a very specialized field. And at that time, I couldn't see how I could use that degree in another field. Even though my very supportive husband was saying, you have a master's degree, you could go do anything. But it felt a little bit like college again when I didn't know what I wanted to do. And then like a miracle, uh, the state of California started what's called a newborn hearing screening program. So most of the country at this point, I don't have current figures, have programs now where we screen babies for hearing loss before they go home from the hospital. Because the earlier you have intervention for those kids, the better their prognosis. It just so happened that California was at the ground floor of this program. And so I thought, wait, this would be amazing. I could go do an administrative job rather than a clinical job and use my background. And then somehow, this is what my brain was telling me, somehow, Beverly, I got the job. Mm. And it was, I loved, 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 loved being on the ground floor of this cutting edge side of my field. These administrative positions didn't come up very often. And I loved what I, I was reignited in my passion for my field. And it was so incredible to be on the ground floor and working with a team of medical professionals to build something in a state that is so massive. At the time when I was working on the program, I don't know what the statistics are now, but California had a birth rate of 500,000 babies per year. So coming up with a way to manage them and get them taken care of and then figure out services afterwards, it was so incredible to be a part of that. So that's the that's the first pivot I made. And honestly, I worked for the state for 15 years. And the bulk of that was a good run. I really enjoyed my job. I enjoyed my team. But as I told you, I had imposter syndrome. And just because I left one position for another, you know, wherever you go, there you are, right? So I end up in this new position that I'm so excited about. And yet I still have this sense that it was dumb luck that I got there or maybe not even that so much, but just so afraid. This is so illogical, I understand. But, you know, I was so afraid that someday somebody would figure out that I wasn't really qualified to be there. And my way of dealing with this, when I look back at this, it's so fascinating, but my way of dealing with this is every project that came up, everything that came up, I said yes to. Anytime we were in a team meeting and my boss said, hey, I have this thing, I'll do it, was my answer. And now, I couldn't see it at the time, but now when I look back, I realize what I was doing is I was making myself so valuable to the team that no one would ever question me. But the problem, Beverly, (laughs) the problem now, no, not yet, but I ended up so overworked, so much on my plate that I couldn't keep up. Uh. And I couldn't ask for help because here I was taking all of this on. So it was leading me towards this burnout piece again. It didn't quite feel like that. It just felt like I could never catch up and I could never get my feet under me, you know? And during this time is when I had my first child. So I have two kids. And they were both born while I was at the state. And so I had this collision of 
feeling like a fraud at work and overworking and overproving so that nobody would figure that out. And then in my personal life, motherhood woke up this perfectionist dictator in me, Beverly, that I didn't even know was possible. So I'm overworked. And then on the mom side, I want to, I don't, I don't think of myself when I think of a perfectionist, I think of somebody whose house is super organized, who got straight A's, who, you know, type A, and that's not me. And so I've come to redefine a perfectionist. And what I think about it more now is the way we treat ourselves. So as far as this perfectionist critic was concerned, I could never do anything right. And when I look back at this time, it makes me really sad because in reality, what I had was I had a job I loved, I had a great marriage, and I had two really healthy, happy kids. But I was beating myself up at every turn about how I wasn't good enough at home and I wasn't doing all the things I thought I should be doing with my kids. And my house wasn't perfect. And I could, oh, it was, it was relentless, Beverly. Did you have a a group of friends, a support group, a support network, or, you know, maybe uh, your children's friends, moms who you talk to? Was there anyone you could talk to? Well, here's the problem. When you are an imposter or when you're living under this perfectionist, you can't admit it to someone. It's very shameful. So for me to admit to my, yes, is the answer. I had a good group of friends, mostly that I met through my kids. I had old friends as well, but I never really showed them what I was wrestling with because there was an element of shame in my mind associated with that. And I thought everybody had it together. And I thought everybody was doing it better than I was, even though people would talk about how hard things were. And I probably superficially talked about it, but I never opened up to this point. The way I am with you now is 180 from who I was then. I was very much about hiding all of that and trying to make it look like I had everything together. But here's the problem with when you do that it spills out in other ways. So resentful around my family, maybe a little short with people that I didn't want to be, not as connected at work as I would like to be because I was so overburdened, but I couldn't see how to open up in a way that felt safe. And frankly, it just all sort of, I got to the point where (laughs) I was frankly sick and tired of being sick and tired. I, I just there came a point where I couldn't, I couldn't take it anymore. I couldn't hold that level of all this shame anymore. And so I got help. Well, at least you got help. Listen, if I hadn't, who knows where I would be today. And my life is so rich and so good now that it would have been a a shame. And I have two daughters. I didn't want them to take on this kind of burden, the way some women like me and the women I work with tend to do this, this trying to live up to expectations. It's well, it's ridiculous. <laughs> it's the first thing that comes well, to mind, but, but it's a waste. It's such a waste. And I'm I so glad I saw it. Begin from a position that from none of us is perfect. Right. And no matter what people try to project, when you think about it, they can't be perfect. Well, I I can see that now. And I could have told you from a very logical place back then, of course, 
course, no one's perfect. But when it was so ingrained in me that this is how I try to keep myself safe, of course, I didn't know that at the time, right? It was just how I operated. Sure. There was no logicking. That's not a word, but you know what I mean? There was no way to logic myself out of that. I would have 100% agreed with you that nobody is perfect. And yet I was still trying to be it. Well, it's aspirational for some people. For some uh, people, yes. For me, it was detrimental. Yeah. I, well, yeah. I, I'm thinking to myself, I've always had high self-esteem. I don't think I'm arrogant, although it comes across that way. Mm-hmm. I don't think it's hubris. I just think it was the way I was brought up to, yeah. to feel that as long as I worked hard, as long as I did the best I could, I was okay. Yeah. And no one was better than I was. And I wasn't any better than anybody else. Yeah. So I was on equal footing. So I never felt inadequate. Right. And fortunately for me, I grew up knowing that I was loved. Yeah. And that's important. Absolutely. And you have you have children, your daughters. Do they have self-esteem? How do you how do you teach pe- children if they don't have it? How do you help them develop it? Well, I think that's an interesting question. Yes, they do. Oh, and they wrestle with the normal. They're 21 and 17 now. You know, they wrestle with the normal things. But what well, I think, I'll, well, I'll share this story. And my 17-year-old said to me recently, because I have a great relationship with both of them. I did not have the horrible teenage girl years like a lot of folks experience. I'm very grateful for that. And my youngest one said to me recently, well, I think the reason you have such a good relationship with us is because you changed. And I'll tell you, Beverly, there was a moment of breaking my heart a little bit that whatever I was going through was obvious enough that they noticed it so much so that they noticed the difference now. And then the other side of me was just damn proud, really proud that I turned it around and they can see it. And now they have this mom who is very much about self-esteem and valuing yourself and loving yourself and who quit a career to start a business. I mean, so I think they're learning by watching. And I try to teach them what I teach my clients they don't always want to listen. They're still my kids, but I think making sure they feel loved is important. My parents divorced when I was youngish and my father was an alcoholic. So there wasn't, while my mom did her best, she has very much made me feel loved, but I never felt like on solid ground. My kids have a way better childhood experience than I had. And that was my goal for them. So there's that they had a better foundation. And then, you know what, I'm just going to take a little credit here and say, I think the fact that I have been doing the work on myself very visibly too, I don't hide anything from my kids now. Well, you know what I mean? (laughs) Within reason, but um, in terms of my development, I share all of that with them because I would love for them to be able to learn in this stage of their life, what it took me 40 plus years to learn. Well, I think you're right in taking credit for having the intestinal fortitude to rewrite the ship, so to speak. Mm -hmm. Everyone can't do that or doesn't see the need to do that. Right. You know, every once in a while, I take a step back and and I think about some of the decisions I've made that many of my friends disagree with. (laughs) I think to myself, okay, so now, okay, how is that? 
Would you do it again? Yeah. You're all right with it? If anything happens, is it going to be okay? And I'm like, yeah, I, you know, I've been better to them than they've been to me. Yeah. You know, that I reassess. People don't think that, that I do that, but I try to be fair, but I'm not going to sublimate myself for someone else. Yes. And for their benefit. Yes. Because it's something they need because I've always done that. I've always come around and now it's like, I'm a woman of a certain age and I'm living my life. I don't know how many more years I have. Mm-hmm. Stress kills. And if you're stressing me out, I can't have it. Right. Right. And you know yourself better than anyone knows you. It's interesting. I was just having a conversation with a colleague this morning about this, that going to friends, women are conditioned to go look for in. We want you know, I I mean, you're the exception, Beverly. And I I want to keep saying that because I don't want to make it seem like I'm speaking for both of us. My clientele, that's what I'll say. A a majority of my clientele really came up through, you know, needing other people's opinions, not trusting themselves. And the problem when you need 57 opinions is they're all going to be conflicting. And the truth is they don't know what you need the way you do. And so getting to the point where you can listen to that internal voice and trust yourself is huge. And you already had that. That's what I hear you saying. Yeah. But the other thing is what's important to them may not be important to you. It's not only need. It's what's important. What brings me joy? Yeah. What Different people get joy from different things. Absolutely. different experiences. And to your point, people don't know what other people need, even though they've been friends for years. Things change over time. We're all evolving. We're all works in progress. Yeah. And hopefully that won't change. Right. Right. If we stop growing, then what? Exactly. (laughs) You know, it's funny that you say that about The other thing I was thinking as you were talking about people don't necessarily know what we need. The other thing is people who love us want the best for us. So I imagine if I had told my mother, I'm about to quit this very stable government job to go try something brand new and risky, she might have told me that's not the best idea. (laughs) You know, when you think about it, but it was the absolute best thing I could have ever done because of the growth I have experienced. And because of the joy that I have in what I do now. Exactly. Yeah. But, you know, that, as, we, as I said before, when, before we started, I so enjoy this, um, I don't know whether to call it employment, career, work, because I'm not giving, I, I give advice, but I don't counsel. Mm-hmm. I, I tell people what I think. I tell people what I say, what I see, rather. And I let them draw their own conclusions to follow it or not to follow it, to accept it and embrace it or not. Yeah. So I'm not counseling people. I may mentor on a limited basis, but it's, I have information. This is what I think. This is why I think it. And I want you to use what I am doing. The young people that I talk to, they'll come to me for advice and then they'll do what they want. It, it, which is true, young people. 
And then they'll come back. They'll come back to me because they know they'll say, Beverly, you were, uh, Beverly, you were right. Godmother, you were right. Okay, fine. And then they'll say, well, let me tell you what I did. You'll be proud of me. And I always say, you tell me what you did. I will be the judge of whether I'm proud. (laughs) Yes. Yes. Because some of them are just, you know, they're, they will, they will stretch the limit. They will go way out on the ledge and, you know, do they, do they jump off or not? I'm like, right. you tell me what you did. I will tell you whether I'm proud of you, yeah. but you know, it's not easy. It's not being young in today's world. It's not easy being middle-aged or older. Right. It's just, they're all challenges. And, you know, even though others have lived through what we're all living through, they haven't lived through some of the things. And some of these things, like a pandemic, right? Every 100 years. Yeah. 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 Well, it's interesting when you said they get pushed to the ledge. So for me, my ledge, when, when I was, so I was still with the state and there were just some, so I, I did really, as I said, for most of my career, I really loved what I did, even despite the fact that I was driving myself crazy. I mean, I was making my own craziness there, but there were some shifts in management as often people probably come to you and tell you it, it, the program didn't have quite the same team approach. My, their values weren't lining up with my values and I was just getting burnt out all the way around. So you can imagine things are changing at work and I'm not happy and I'm beating myself up at home. And so I thought something has to change. So I, full transparency, I went and I met a therapist who started helping me see where I was doing a lot of this to myself, just invaluable to get that hope, that help. And then as I was moving through that, I started thinking about, okay, so in my career at the state, I would travel around the country presenting our program to different uh, organizations. I loved that part of it. The public speaking was really fun for me. I got to teach various programs that were providing services to kids about hearing loss. And just there was some teaching element that I liked. And there was a lot of writing working for the state. And those were the things I enjoyed, writing, teaching, and speaking. And so I was thinking about this. You know, what could I do career-wise as I'm now winding down and not really happy anymore? What else could I do? And coaching came into my awareness. I don't even remember how it came into my awareness, but I started kind of toying with that. I thought, gosh, you know, writing, teaching, speaking, all of that would be encompassed in a coaching career. And and so I finally just decided I should hire a coach. Let's just see what this is like, you know? And oh, Beverly, my that woman rocked my world in a Whoa. way that made such a difference in my life. Therapy really helped me deal with kind of the childhood stuff. But when I was ready to launch, it was coaching that did that for me. And so working with her and seeing, because I just sort of felt stuck in the life that I had, which really there wasn't anything wrong with the life that I had. I just was the way that I was thinking about it and looking at it as if, well, this is all there is to this. I go to this job. I do this work. I come home. I run kids to soccer practice. I make dinner. That's it. Oh my gosh, that of course, saying it now sounds dreary as heck. I didn't realize I had choices. I didn't realize it was the way I was beating myself up that was keeping me stuck. And working with a coach is how I learned all of this. And so once I worked with her for a little while, I thought, 
oh, this is what I want to do. That women should not be suffering the way I was suffering when it doesn't have to be this way. This is what I want to do for my career now. So I had come from this place of service to families and children. And now I was shifting gears into, I want women to love themselves. I want women to value themselves because man, do we have a lot to offer. But for some of us, it's been sort of beaten out of us over the years. Not literally, I don't mean that, but for some it has. But you know, the life and experience has kind of just beaten that voice down in us and we don't trust ourselves and we don't speak up. And that is so sad. And I didn't want that for other women. And so I took a huge leap of faith. I did a coach certification program, spent nine months getting this learning and earning my certification. And then I took a leap and I quit my job and I have not for one second looked back. This has been such an incredible journey of personal growth. And then the work that I get to do with the women who honor me with coming to work with me, it is it is a privilege and an honor to the way people open up to me and they trust me and trust me to walk with them and help them see where they may be getting in their own ways. And they trust me to teach them tools to move through it. It is amazing. And then the personal growth that comes along with becoming an entrepreneur where my brand is me. And in order to do this work, all that shame stuff I had before and all that hiding, that can no longer be. I want to live a very open, vulnerable, authentic life. And that means doing it very publicly. So you can imagine going from that sort of hard shell exterior to, I'll pretty much tell you anything you want to know. And I'll share with you how, how struggles feel. And I'll talk to you because I want you to know you're not alone. This is really why I do this. I want women to know they are not alone. And there is a safe place where they can do this work and have a life they love that they love, Beverly, not just put up with. So now where do you get your clients? So that is an interesting question. So I get my, I worked for another coaching practice uh, when I first started and I have some clients there who have referred other clients there. So word of mouth in that way, I go do networking and I meet people that way. I do speaking engagements and I'll meet women at various places there. A lot of it, I would say, is word of mouth. But here's what I have learned. It's when people get to know me, then it's easier for them because there's a huge trust factor in this business. There's always a trust factor when you're, you know, there's a transaction like buying a car. I have to know that I trust the brand to be reliable, let's say. And so when people get to know me, like, for example, I've done local workshops and things. A a woman just signed up for coaching with me who did a workshop with me, I think four years ago. I have another woman who shows up at all my retreats who met me at a talk I gave at her son's preschool, I don't know, uh, eight years ago, and then just suddenly showed up. So there's a slow build of trust for me with potential clients. And I just keep showing up. I keep showing up on the web. I keep showing up for my community. I run a women's group now called the GC. And, um, keep showing up for them. I'm going to diverge a little bit here. And if you want to get a question and please just stop me, but this group that I've created, it's brand new and it's based solely on connection. 
And I knew women, women often come to me and say, I don't have any good girlfriends. I don't know how to make friends anymore in a real authentic way. You know, those days when we were in school and we got the slow get to know you, build trust doesn't exist anymore. And so between that, and I hosted a virtual retreat earlier this year. And when I asked the women what they wanted to get that day, the majority of them said connection. So now I host a group where we meet twice a month and it's a very, very safe space. I'm intentional when I create this, that they can come in and they can just put everything down and just be themselves and be vulnerable and see in other women's stories that they're not alone. When you're hiding, you think it's only you that's going through whatever it is that you're going through. And when you start hearing that other people experience the same thing, it opens you up in a way that isn't possible and you can connect in really genuine ways. And that's what I'm really focused on. But you asked me how I got clients and I went down a whole different road. No. Well, you know, if anyone who's listening to this podcast, you know, when it drops or, you know, two months after it drops, how can they get in touch with you if they want to explore the possibility of working with you? Yeah. So my my website's probably the easiest. It's jennifersherwood.com. I'm Jennifer Sherwood Coaching on Facebook and Instagram. Then come and follow along and see what I'm up to. And just, you know, let's get to know each other. I offer anybody who wants one a free consultation. I am not a pressure girl at all. I am not the person who's going to get on the phone and try to talk you into something. My consultations are just about, why don't you come in and have some time to actually talk about what you're experiencing in a place where you don't have to worry that anybody's going to share that at happy hour next week or that anybody's judging you for what you're doing. When women come and have a consultation and maybe later sessions, that's what I offer them. I'm not here to judge you. And I'm certainly not going to tell anyone. I'm very serious. Having worked for the Department of Healthcare Services, very serious about confidentiality. So come have a chat with me and let's just see what's going on for you. So my website or on Facebook and Instagram are probably the best ways to get in touch with me. What advice would you have for any woman listening who maybe she's not happy on the job that she has, or maybe she's not happy with the life that she has, and she doesn't know what to do about it, whether it's a feeling of inadequacy or frustration, because she doesn't seem to be getting any traction as far as her career is concerned or as far as improving her daily existence, the life she lives? Yeah. What advice would you give them? I think maybe not so much advice as just an awareness for them that everything is, nothing is permanent. Let me put it that way. That she does have choices, even if she can't see it. She has the power to change her circumstances. People think that it's our circumstances that are making us feel a certain way. So I used to think it was my boss that was making me feel lousy. But really, it was what I was telling myself about that experience. It's the way we think that leads to how we feel. And so if circumstances are just neutral, I had a boss. I was making what that person was saying mean something about me or making me feel a certain way. I had the choice to stay or to go look for another job. 
And that sounds a little flip, but what I hope someone gets out of this is if you're not happy in your life, if you're not happy in your career, there are other options. Are they scary? Hell yes. Making a change is always scary, but I want to help women see that they are not stuck. They really aren't stuck. There are choices. It's just going to take them getting to the point that they're ready to make those choices. No, I see that. I see that. You know, I made a choice a few years back to, as, as, to your earlier point, my mother wouldn't have been pleased with me either to leave my <laughs> good paying corporate job and embark upon this. But God had other plans. The timing wasn't quite right. And the person who was going to help me this effort uh, passed away suddenly. Oh. I was left, having left my good paying corporate job, but thinking that, you know, I can do it. I can do this. Yeah. And I see now that I am able to do it. It's taken a long time, but I can see the fruits of my labor. Yes. You know, real and those that haven't come to fruition yet. I can see them. I can see the buds. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, I know that in some time there will be, they will be in full bloom and I will be pleased with what I've done. Because it troubles me when I see people going through the motions as they always have. This is not the same rodeo. This is a different rodeo. And yes. they have not made the transition. Exactly. And, and I will say, you had mentioned earlier about what you're offering on this podcast, that not everyone can afford to hire someone and that you give a lot of value. And I want to, I want to, I was thinking about what you were saying about creating these buds that'll bloom. And so these women that we were talking about who may feel stuck, I want to say, if they're following me on socials or they sign up for my email, I'm very much like you. I am giving away a lot of tools. I'm giving away a lot of insight because the same thing, like not everyone can pay for this, but I want everyone to have access to it. So I give away a lot for that very reason to help women try to think about their next act and what's coming on. Exactly. Because we've got a lot of hidden gems out there. Yes. A lot of people with brilliant ideas, helpful, useful ideas that just need to be heard, seen, rolled out. Yes. It would make a difference in someone's life. Yes. And, and I, I think being seen and heard, I, I believe Brene Brown talks about this, that it's just very human nature that we want to be seen and heard. And that's what I try to offer my clients is a space where they can feel seen and heard and nurtured. I'm very much about really, I mean, I'll, I'll listen, I know I'm not going to shy away from anything. I'll kick you in the rear when you need it, but <laughs> I'm also about really making people feel warm and welcome and loved too. It's important. And when you realize that people have grown up without having that, you understand why they, they behave the way they behave. They feel the way they feel. And if they, if that can change absolutely for their benefit, then I'm all for that. Me too. Me too. I love it. And that's our goal, right? Is to help people improve and have better lives for themselves. Oh, and, and to the point you said in the beginning, when you were talking about me, how people might be surprised to hear that if women 
focus on themselves, everyone around them benefits. There is this undercurrent that moms sacrifice and women sacrifice and they, and there's something selfish about taking time for yourself. And that gets really ingrained in women. And what I want to say is it's absolutely the opposite is true. When women take the time to care for themselves, it makes us show up better people. So when you go back to the early days of my story, I was coming home resentful and a little bit short and testy. And my mind was still at work about all the stuff that was on my desk and I couldn't keep up. And all of that was spilling over at home. When I got out of that, I showed up so much better for my kids. I'm able to focus and pay attention to them. Not always. I'm not, the Lord knows I'm not perfect. Let's talk about that right now. But, but, you know, just what I see in my clients is they're more connected to the people at work. They're more connected to relationships, their friendships improve, their marriages or their dating lives or their partnerships improve because they're not so worried about hiding whatever they're ashamed of and they're more open and connected. So when women take the time to do the work on themselves, it benefits everybody around them. And that's, I mean, everybody, their close relationships, their work connections, they just show up in a more open way, more how they want to show up. No, I think that's right. I think that's right. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to spend with us. It's so my pleasure. We're so much the better for it. Oh, Beverly, thank you. It's my joy to be here and talk about this. You can tell I'm pretty passionate about what I do. I can tell. <laughs> thank oh. you for the opportunity to share. I really appreciate oh, it. Well, and and that's important. Being Loving what you do doesn't make it work anymore. It makes it almost a calling. Oh, I was, I'm sorry. I misinterpreted that. Yes. Yes. It's not like work. I got you. Yes. No, it's my love. It's my joy. It's my passion. Yeah. I mean, you know, it's like you're getting something and you're giving something. Exactly. And it's, you know, fair exchange is never a robbery as far as I'm concerned. Yes, I would agree. And you and I both know what that feels like in what we're doing. Absolutely. Thank you again. And we'll stay connected. I, yes, absolutely. Thank you, Beverly. I appreciate it. Bye-bye. Bye. Thanks for listening to Your Employment Matters with Beverly Williams. If you found this podcast helpful, please subscribe and leave a review. I truly appreciate your support and that helps other listeners find the podcast. If you have a comment, question, or suggestion, you can reach me at bawilliams at youremploymentmatters.com. My book, Get the Job Done, is available on amazon.com and barnesandnoble.com. Please join me again next week. Until then, remember to embrace change and differences. This podcast is part of the Sound Advice FM network. Sound Advice FM, women's voices amplified.